Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. So you're getting a sense who this service is about, right? I mean, everything this morning about Lord Jesus Christ. However, right now we are going to go to an Old Testament passage. We're going to use a little DVD to do that, but invite you to pull out your Bibles. Just turn to Psalm 51. and have a little story about a farm boy, and so this will help us get to that story a little easier. This is your story. This is my story. But most of all, this is the greatest story ever told. This is God's story. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb, yet you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Okay, so that's where we're going to begin today. Uh, there is a story that Randy Frazee tells. He is someone who's worked on this effort called The Story, taking a church through some 32 weeks through the entire Bible. It's something that we might consider But he tells a story about a boy, a farm boy, actually. And uh, this farm boy uh, had life on the farm. It also included the fact that there were no indoor facilities, and so he had to use an outhouse outside. And he hated that outhouse so badly. I mean, it was freezing cold in the winter, so hot in the summer, and it stunk all the time. And he hated it so much that he wanted so badly just to push it over into the creek that it sat next to and get rid of it. So it was raining and pouring and the creek got higher and higher and he thought, this is my chance. I am going to get rid of this stupid outhouse. And so he got a two by four and he got on the top of it because it was kind of rickety and he pushed it over and pushed it right into the creek and it floated away. He got rid of the outhouse. Well, later at dinner that evening, his dad said to him, 
son, we're headed out to the woodshed after dinner. Now, for you younger folks, going out to the woodshed means he was going to get a spanking, get a whooping, right? And so, first the boy was saying, deny, 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 deny. I'm going to deny it. So why, Dad? Why? Why are we going to the woodshed? It's, well, son, someone pushed the outhouse into the creek today, and it was you, wasn't it, son? Then he had a twist, kind of a turn. He goes, like, he goes, well, Dad... I heard about in school today that George Washington cut down a cherry tree, and because he was honest, and yes, I did push the outhouse in, because he was honest, he didn't get a spanking. <laughs> that was his ever. And his dad replied this way. He says, yes, son, that's true. But his dad wasn't in the cherry tree. It's a great story. It's a great story, and it's going to illustrate a few things for us this morning. We're going to talk about this arrival, what we believe about Jesus, and therefore what we're going to do about it. But we have to understand that the entire scriptures, from the very beginning to the very end, point toward what Jesus was going to do and then point back to what he did for us and what we have to look forward to. And so we're going to touch in on a lot of that in this Old Testament story that represents Psalm 51 most definitely helps us to do that. There's some great truths, some pretty simple truths. They're in your notes. I don't know if many of you will argue this point, but here's a place to start. There is something inside of each one of us that compels us to do wrong. I mean, it is just there inside of it. The Bible calls this um, sin nature that we are all born with. We're all broken people. In this story that represents Psalm 51, we have David who has everything going for him. He's experiencing the blessings of God like crazy as a nation. Nation's growing. He has peace. He's not having to battle so much. He has um, everything that he needs plus and just experiencing the fullness of God. And then he lets his guard down. He has an affair with Bathsheba. Many of you know this story. Uh, It's uh, so common to man even in this day that as a leader he forgets what his calling is, what he needs to be about, and he falls. And he falls hard. And there's great consequences to us. To it, And so, again, he understands the fact, and this comes out in Psalm 51, about how close this sin is to him. In verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me, he said. And that is our experience as well, isn't it? That as much as we seek God, as hard as we try at times, it's like, man, there is something inside of us, the sin nature that seems to always be tempting us. There's always something going on. In verse 5, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So again, this points to the fact that there's not one of us in this room right now that doesn't have a significant problem, and that problem is sin, that we are born into. A second truth is that our lack of goodness affects other people. That is, 
We've pushed over some outhouses and it's impacted other people. We've been in that house and been pushed over by others. The actions and behaviors of people impact us. The sin of others impacts us. Our sin impacts others. In verse 4, David says this, Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. This is a true statement. When we sin, we sin against God. David sinned against God. He was God's man in leadership, and he fell hard. But I wonder, had Uriah been around, if he would have been able to say that as well, that it was only against God that he had sinned. I think Uriah, remember, he was on the receiving end of David's kind of twisting the circumstances around so he could hide his sin and like we so often do try to cover it up and try to hide for it and Uriah was again Bathsheba's husband and he sends Uriah to his death in battle on purpose so David is not only um, guilty of uh, adultery but he's also guilty of murder. His actions impacted a lot of other people, that whole family, Uriah's family. Nothing more painful in our lives, is it? When we sin, when we blow it, when we mess up, and then we see how it impacts the lives of the people around us, the, the people we love, the people that we see the results. I mean, you know, again, we read about these things all the time in, in the paper, a, a drunk driver, and now they have to live with the consequences of, of those kind of actions if someone's hurt or killed or... Um, so our lack of goodness, our sin, not only impacts us, but it impacts others as well. Now, just a side note that David, again, did the right thing. He acknowledged it. He confessed. He repented. And in Hebrews, we see him in the hall of faith that he was a guy who was after God's heart. That gives us a glimpse that there is good news in the in the kind of in the face of all this darkness. The third truth, there on your notes, there are always consequences associated with our actions. We are broken people because of our sin, and there are consequences. For David, the baby that was conceived died. His kingdom began to deteriorate greatly. His leadership was undermined in many ways, and it were consequences. We, he set things in motion, and there were consequences. The Bible says that the ultimate consequence of, for each one of us, if we are, stay in our sin, if we don't confess, if we don't accept what Jesus has done for us, is that the wages of sin, the price of sin, the wages is death, eternal death, separation from God. He says, but the gift of God, this point of this bright light of Jesus Christ, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, there are always consequences associated with our actions. And then, number four, a truth that we believe that comes out clearly in our belief statement this week is we need a Savior. We need someone to restore us. David recognized this. You can tell that it's the yearning of his heart that that there would be a restoration, that there would be a place that he, he could come to that resembled what it used to be, where there'd be joy and there'd be fullness. Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10 in Psalm 51 says this, 
He says, create in me a pure heart. He knows he can't purify himself. He needs someone to do that. Oh God, create in me a pure heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He remembered what happened to King Saul with that exact thing happened when Saul never did acknowledge and always try to hide and cover up and blame and deny. And then verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Great words that are at our heart this morning as well, to create something in us, God, to renew something, to restore. Give us a willing spirit, a want to, a want to follow Jesus. We cannot restore ourselves. All the way back in Genesis, we see God, who is love, create the universe and place humanity at the crown of all that he brings into existence. And man and woman, as individuals and collective, reflect God's image. People are both the object of God's love and able to love God in return. But then the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, broke that relationship, broke that loving relationship by disobeying God. And so from that very beginning, as our parents now, we grow into a sinful nature. We have that same thing inside of us. Can you imagine what it must have been like in the garden beforehand? Like just walking with God, just being with God, just completely transparent with Him. I mean, we can't even understand that right now, what that would feel like, because there's always something inside of us that seems to, to, to be blocking that, and, and uh, we're so tempted to, to cover up a little bit, to hold back, to hedge our bet a little bit, to have some of God, but little of this on the side as well, to feel the guilt and the pain and the shame and all of those kind of things, and and. Yet there's this great news of what we believe that God did in bringing his son Jesus to restore, restore us. This idea of restoring. No denying, no blaming, no covering up, but giving our lives to, to Jesus. We see that God is relentless in his pursuit and restoration of what was lost. So let's look at the first, this statement, this uh, third statement, and let's read it together, what we believe about Jesus. We believe Jesus, God the Son, willingly died and was raised, restoring a loving relationship between God and His people. I have a garbage truck story for you that has helped me capture more of what this whole idea of God restoring um, us is all about. I don't know if you knew that. I was on, I think I've told you. I, I was on the garbage truck in Ripon, California for a summer or two, actually, uh, before automation. So this is when you rode on the back of the truck, you would get the can and put it in. That was my summer job for a couple of, and I learned so much, so many spiritual lessons. I was just thinking earlier this week, I have to have a sermon series, lessons I learned on the back of a garbage truck, and share each one of those with you. But this story is about a guy who was totally into restoration. One of my fellow garbage men on the side was actually a collector of Corvettes. He loved Corvettes. He was Mr. Corvette guy. He had lots of Corvettes, and most weekends, if there was a car show anywhere, he would go to that car show 
And not only would he show his cars, his Corvettes that he had, but he was also, because he was so good at it, he would be a judge and he would check to see how well these cars were restored and give prizes accordingly. And so he was like completely into it. And he would tell me all about Corvettes, how, why this Corvette was, you know, did well because it had been restored to its original. Now you understand restoration, right? When it comes to restoring a car, which one is the most valuable? The one that's most valuable is the one that is most brought back to the original, what it was intended to be. And so for me, the spiritual lesson is what did God intend for you to be as an individual? Not the person next to you, but you. What's, what is the original like just without all the stuff, without all the add-ons and all that kind of stuff, what would that restoration look like? Well, I have a couple pictures up here just, you know, just get you thinking about this. So this is a 1958, I believe. Yes, a 1958. Beautiful. Now, if you look online, they had before pictures too, and it's a lot like our life. It didn't look like this originally. It needed to have the frame straightened out, at some point, someone had painted it blue, and they had realized that when they were peeling off that it was the original color was yellow. It was really supposed to be this color. And so the guy worked. We have quite a few cool pictures, okay? You can tell I'm aiming real hard at the guys today. Okay? Okay? So the restoration process happened. Beautiful, beautiful car. Okay? Worth a lot now. Exponentially more than it was when it was just in a kind of in a garage, and it was, had gotten wrecked, and it was the wrong color, and things just weren't right. There's a lot of lessons that we could talk about the restoration. We can't restore ourselves. Just, let's just be so clear about that. That's what's so good about this thing that we believe, that Jesus came to restore our loving relationship with the Father between man and God. So often, we try to do our own kind of restoration project. I have a couple pictures of that as well. Here's a picture of a Corvette that someone did their own kind of customizing and work. This would be on the website um, called, uh, Someone Spent Loads of Money Making This C6 Corvette Ugly and Then Crashed It. But this is reflective of what we so often do. We try to add on to our lives. To, you know, we're, we're in a self-project to make ourselves happy, to do the sorts of things that we think will make us look good, and we change our, who God really has for us. And so, again, and then we wreck. We wreck our lives. We, we mess things up. We, you know, the hurts and the, the hang-ups, the habits that we grab on, the addictions, those kind of things that wreck our lives. So, again, we know that we can't restore ourselves. Paul was clear on this. Paul was clear that, you know, this is how we all used to be. There's none of us that aren't in a project right now of being restored, who have said yes to Jesus, who aren't being restored. I know we have our look here, but if we could really see what our lives look like right now, we would all have some kind of project of maybe straightening our frame, and a little, I don't know, you guys don't use Bondo when you restore, but you know what I'm saying? We, we wouldn't be all shiny and everything. We're all in a process to be restored back to the, to the Father through Jesus Christ if we have given ourselves to what Jesus has done. We're all broken. Some of us are broken like the prodigal son where we've just thrown our lives into kind of a partying mode. We're going to keep the Father away from us by, by just 
doing our own thing to have fun and to celebrate and to, like that whole scene. So maybe that's the way that we're keeping the, the restore away from us. Or maybe we're like the older son where we're keeping God at arm's distance by just being dutiful, doing the right things, but kind of out of obligation, certainly not out of a loving relationship. In both ways, there's so many different ways that, again, we keep God at arm's length, keep that loving relationship from coming close to us and as we keep running away from him. And in this case, we are just simply saying this morning, the word is clear here that Jesus is willing to come into your life, into my life, to begin this restoration process where we say yes to him and we're justified and we go through the rest of our days being sanctified by him, being changed, changing our thinking, changing our behavior, but from the inside out as God does that through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul said this to young Timothy in first, uh, recorded 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. A couple of these passages you can find on our website under this belief statement. Under each belief statement, there were scriptures that we looked to that really created that foundation. And a great passage that Jamie read this morning, I believe is one of them. But then 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given at the proper time. One mediator between God and us, and that's Jesus Christ. We celebrate him at Christmas. We celebrate him at Good Friday and Easter, all the things that Jesus did to restore that relationship. So that's where we start. That's what God has done for us. And now what we need to understand is that we can't just receive this and just stay here. This is the airport. This is the church. This is the building. We need to go out there. And what is going to bring this to life for us? How do we live this out? Well, the therefore statement is here, and I'd like you to read that as well. Therefore, we will pursue broken people with Jesus' redeeming story. We're going to be about pursuing people. And as I complete or conclude this message, I am praying that the Holy Spirit will even drop people's names into your heart and mind. People that you know are in your life right now who do not know Jesus, whose lives are broken. I know your life and my life, that we don't got all together yet. We're still in process. But part of that, part of the thing that helps so much with that The call that we have in our lives is that we would share that good news as well and be in people's life and share what Jesus has done in our story and what God can do in their life as well. Another passage that really anchors this, this sense of what Jesus has done and now what we will do, what are you willing to do, is in Philippians 2, 6 to 11. Hear what that scripture says, it says, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus enters our brokenness. He, he willfully, that's the word we use, he, he willfully did this. He wasn't arm twisted into it. Out of love, he came into our lives. And we are uh, grateful recipients of that, aren't we? We couldn't do it ourselves. And Jesus comes and he presents himself. And if you have said yes to Jesus, if you've said yes to him and accepted him and received what he's done for you, you have so much. I have so much to give praise and glory to Jesus for, to thank him for. But it has to have kind of the next step is, now what? What are we going to do with that? And Jesus gives the example that he humbled himself, so we're called to humble ourselves. He willfully came to a people. Now we willfully go to others. What are you willing to do with this great salvation that Jesus has gone done for you? What, what are you and I going to do with that? It's, again, it's, it's just the whole red cup thing again. We've received. Now are we just going to enjoy it ourselves? Just receive or receive and just leave it here for the week because it's just a church thing? Or are we going to receive and then offer it to others around us? That's the therefore statement. Going and sharing our story. Pursuing people just like we've been pursued. Not in a weird sort of way, but God puts people in our lives and it takes some of kind of purposeful action on our part to put ourselves in a place where we can share the good news of Jesus. Not in a condemning sort of way. God made that clear. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. So as we go into people's life, we're not going to condemn them, but we're going to bring the salvation of Jesus, the good news of Jesus into their lives. And what we have front and center is our own life, where you can share, hey, this is what Jesus has done in my life. Here's how I've experienced Jesus. If they ask you questions that you don't know, you say, I don't know. I don't, great question. I can't find someone who knows that. Or we'll go look at the Bible together. I mean, again, it's life to life. Jesus came into our lives, and now we go into the lives of others. And just like what he did uh, for us, there's a pursuit passage that I came across, it's not going to be on the screen, I just in my, in my own personal time with the Lord, just the last few days, in Acts 4. Acts 4, we see Peter and John now really just sharing the good news of Jesus with people around him. And at one point, he, they come across a lame man, and this lame man who's been lame since birth, he's over 40 years old, the Bible says, and he's asking him for money, he's begging, and they said, we don't have any money, but we do have Jesus in the name of Jesus be healed. And he's healed. And they go into the temple and he's worshiping God. And, and the people are going crazy like, hey, this is the guy that's been by the gate. We've seen him for last, I don't know how many years. And now he's healed. He's glorifying God. Again, Peter and John says, we didn't, we didn't heal him. It was, it was Jesus. Jesus, who you crucified, who you killed, who you rejected. He's the one who healed this, this man. And goes on to share, and it says, like, you know, more and more people came to Jesus through that. And they get thrown into prison. They spend the night in prison. And uh, here's what it says in Acts 4, uh, verse 8. It says, then Peter, okay, now they've been 
called now before the rulers, and the rulers are saying, hey, you can't, you can't be talking about Jesus, and they say this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if you are being called to account today as an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. In this pivotal verse, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Do you you believe that? Do you believe that? That salvation is found in no one else, for there is no no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Okay, so here's the question that I asked myself this morning. You're going to have to wrestle around it with it as well. That if we believe that, if we believe that, that Jesus Christ is the only name by which someone can be saved, and there are people in my life and people in your life who don't know that name. And we leave here with our cups filled because we praise Jesus, but we aren't going to be open-handed and open-hearted with our neighbors and our friends, these people who don't know Jesus. There's a couple questions we have to ask ourselves. One of the questions are, are we just a functional universalist? You know what that means? You know what a universalist is? Universalism means, says that, oh, there's lots of ways to heaven. There's lots of ways that you can come to Jesus Christ, or you can come to God. It's not just through Jesus Christ. We don't believe that. Our statement is clear. The scriptures are clear that we believe Jesus is the only name. But when we treat all our friends, you know, the people who have lots of different ways that, you know, they don't believe, whatever, and we just say, you know, we're not going to say anything, we're not going to care, we're not going to share Christ with them, then either we're saying, well, they're going to somehow get to heaven and it's all good, or we're saying, we really don't care. This just bothers me. This bothers me about myself. It means that God needs to do a restoring work in my life, still continue to grow love in me, the love that I've received, the love that you've received, that we would care, that we would love enough that we would go into people's lives, that we'd be willing to risk, that we'd be a little more like Jesus, and that is humbling ourselves, not worrying about it so much. What, what, what are we worried about? That we'd be proactive, that we would be willing, that we'd be purposeful, we'd be courageous, we'd be unselfish. All the words that we've thrown in front of us in our vision statement, great words, but they're even greater actions as we go from here. So this morning, there's kind of this challenge. The one challenge is if you are still in a place where you're just kind of considering what, you know, what this is all about, just know that, that God loves you, and He wants to restore this loving relationship with you, and He'd love for you to stop running away and invites you to run toward Him. And we'd love to pray with you this morning and say yes you know, where you can give your life to Jesus, give your life to this one who will restore you to a loving relationship with the Father.
But I suspect there's a lot of you who have been to that place already. And the challenge for you and me as we go into a new week is that we're a little more purposeful about taking what God has done for us, the love that he's poured into our lives, and be willing to share it with others. I'm going to be real quiet here for just a few moments and let God's spirit, the truth of his word, just a little bit of extra time to think, consider who, where, and how, when that might be able to happen this week. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we lift your name up. There is no name higher than your name in heaven or earth. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess some point in history, Lord, that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray, Lord, that it would be in this day and be willful on our part. And as we, again, live that out into the um, course of this week, that you give us opportunity to share your good news with those in our life, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our job, workplaces. Lord Jesus, um, confess to you, confess to you that we need you to continue to restore us, to sanctify us. Thank you for justifying. Thank you for doing the work on the cross, that that's already done, that we don't have to work for that. That was free. That's a gift of grace. We just put our faith in you. Thank you for the ways we saw that happen even with our students this morning, for the kids that made commitments to you this past week and those in this coming week. Lord, we pray that you draw people to yourself. Lord, we are eager, eager to follow your lead as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.